0: Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England.
1: I'm Dr. Brendan Clark, I'm based at Towerwood Vets in
2: West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Conor Brady, the non vet of the gang from dogspurse.ie. And together we are. Raw pet
0: medics. Good evening, everybody. Hello. We're back with a slightly depleted raw pet medics. Brendan has seen fit to disappear to Canada for weeks. They've actually gone to uh, into the wilderness, and actually, they've said, se- "Oh, oh, no!" He's
2: about to join our bath show. That's not fair. I go on holidays to port <laughs> and Perry and Sunny Galway. Bren goes to Canada for four weeks and wherever you're going next.
1: Yeah, we go to a, a nice resort in the middle of, uh, um, well, it's up north of us from here. So hopefully get a lot more nature, yeah. a little seaplane. i been watching them yeah. take off from the bay just outside. Nice. Um, so, yeah, it'll be uh, brilliant.
2: So that sounds nice. Thanks for joining us, Bren, all the way from Canada. You know we're going to be talking about homeopathy and uh, and a few other bits and pieces. And these are the two top bets in the country for that subject. So I don't think Brent can stay away, to be honest with you. So uh, at patreon.com forward slash raw pet medics. Uh If you can help us out with the price of a cup of coffee or a pint, keep the show on the road. We very much appreciate it. Uh, every, everybody Please. that's been doing that so far, uh, we see you and we thank you. And uh can, great. If you can't, no sweat at all. No stress at all. But uh, yeah, so what's been happening, Nick? You are up the walls with a move, aren't you?
0: Uh, so... We had two weeks in, in uh, Egypt, and we timed it deliberately, obviously, so that we left on a Tuesday and we arrived back on a Tuesday so that we had three weeks without you guys. Oh, yeah? It, what can I say? It was oh. bliss. Oh. I was bliss. trying to get rid of Brendan, and
2: he's there still, yeah. like a bad...
1: <laughs> Only a little bit. <laughs>
2: okay. We'll get, we'll get the good stuff out of you. I met this uh, fantastic girl yesterday, uh, lady. And um, she was, a beha- she is a behaviourist, met two behaviourists, always interesting, talking to behaviours and getting what's going on. And uh, she was she's into uh, pain and behaviour, so that's her, that's her forte. And she does a lot of work in that. I would say the name of her company if I could remember now, but I can't, but I will say it later. Uh, but she was asking about Duddy, said, how's Duddy getting on? I said, look, he's still, he's still the same. And uh, she was asking questions about it. She goes, have you explored pain in this dog at all? And I was like, no, he's fine. He's, he's absolutely fine. He looks fine we had a major back operation when he was one he's now seven how's his gait? how's his walk and i said oh it's pretty bad he's pretty wobbly now he looks pretty funny when you see him walking down the street so send me a few videos and she goes there's a very simple test for this and I don't don't everybody just start doing this on their dogs but she said it everything that i said was just ringing alarm bells for her so i've got great hope that she said why don't we try some simple family from this dog for a few days and if any change is made get him checked out by a vet get his back checked out by somebody uh, get a physio to check him out. And I'm like, God, yeah, obviously. Why wouldn't I give his back the support that I would probably be recommending for anybody at this, not mid, quite middle age, I don't want to think that, but, you know, he's seven years old, so I'm full of hope that maybe actually do these absolute craziness, uh, probably little parts of the time, might be actually a bit of agitation from the discomfort he feels in his back, and that's why he's on his toes all the time. Uh, and I wonder would that be it. What do you think, guys? Have you ever heard of such a thing? I,
0: yeah, I think pain trials is a brilliant idea. We do it in horses all That's the she time. Said. That's think, what she said.
2: You look at a horse and you think,
0: uh, is he lame, is he not? And so you put him on for you for 10 days, two weeks. And if he becomes sound and is suddenly more joyous, then he's got pain. Either pain in the leg or in the back or in the neck or what have you. Because it's very difficult to tell wow. with horses if they're in pain or not, even more than dogs, because it's more difficult to probe at a deep level. So I think it's great that you're going down that line to, to ask the question, are you fundamentally in pain or are you fundamentally yeah. not in pain? Yeah, a little bit do. of Friend,
1: what Yeah. Fear? I think as well with dogs, we're seeing a lot of this, and I wonder whether that's why so many people are using CBD, a bit of gabapentin, and things like that in some of these behavioral cases, just to see how much pain is involved in those cases so I, I think definitely it's worth if any of you guys have a problem that's ongoing you've done all of this training etc and you find that there's something always reverts them back um do look at pain because yes. that can be a big driver
2: yeah a bit of paracetamol lads is that okay small little bit of paracetamol trial.
1: trial i would never yeah. say permanently there's lots of great things herbal wise to use Um, I always say to people, that if if you really want to rule it out and you want to make sure then by all means use the very short course of a good pain relief and then sort of use that as your marker to sort of work out at which point you should be able to get any other complementary medicines to um, or exceed um, rather than just
2: sort of depending on, you know, that non-steroidal or other pain relief for the rest of the life. Yeah, okay. So you said some pain reliefs don't work on some parts of the body Mm -hmm. and others work much better. Like the lady's all over pain. I mean, she would pop rings right. I'm so interesting. So I never even thought that. And she goes, oh, it explains a lot of behavior. And then the nerves that are connected all through the back, the vagus nerve hooked up over everything and wrapping around your, your your this laryngeal paralysis that Karen was talking about. It goes around that lobe. If you can damage it, you can get all sorts of issues. And Karen was saying things can pop up all over the body because you know this nerve is connected to everything and it goes up into the brain. So it's like, wow, yeah, why wouldn't it result in behavioral issues as well? Anyway, I just thought that was fantastic. I'm going to keep you posted on how I got on with the first few days. Then if I need something, I will use you as my free vets, as I always do. So, uh, yeah, listen, homeopathy, guys, this is a very, very big one. Does somebody want to start us off with a little bit of history of, like, where did this come about? Does anybody, do you guys have the history of that? Where where did this medicine start?
0: Do you want to go with that? Because you're going to run off to some uh, water ski plane to get to your you, uh, was it Grizzly Adams yeah. uh, cabin in the woods I
1: love so, that you guys are including me at this very short notice <laughs> <know>. for uh,
0: <laughs> this yeah.
1: little bit Um goes back um, thousands of years ultimately uh, with a principle of like, speak, like. so looking at um, what medicines in nature would cause symptoms by causing those symptoms you could often get those natural symptomatologies to be reversed by the body almost letting the body recognize it and then power back against it to overwhelm both the medicine and the original disease so that's one of the principles way back when from greek times that was sort of named in there on top of that then probably the the godfather if you like of homeopathy uh, people would refer to as pahneman came along but there were a few before him with paracelsus and People in that, that very sort of um, turn of the 16th, 17th centuries that were, were looking into homeopathy and, and potencies. And I think really Hahnemann was the, the guy, he's a, a doctor, he was effectively um, translating texts from Latin and Greek into German uh, way back in sort of 1780s, 1790s, uh, just to get himself through medical school. Um, and he sort of came across a few of these things. And he just really went to um, look at, um, you know, experimenting how he could get some of these medicines. So bark, you know, with malaria, sort of recognizing some of the slight um, similarities between how effective that medicine is and the, how actually that medicine could cause some of the symptoms that you'd get with malaria, uh, which was a big issue in those days. And he experimented his kids and and himself and you know those around him but uh, with potencies um, not knowing anything about you know avogadro's number at that stage okay literally going well it's toxic and it's it's really potent form so let's dilute this and he found that actually diluting it in certain ways actually revealed um, a better um, medicine so he went through this potentization which he sort of marked down um how to do it, and then start to develop these remedies and the remedy pictures. And it was an ever-evolving uh, feast for him, you yeah, know, right through to I think it was 1840, something that um even then there was an up- unpublished um thing on chronic diseases that uh, he'd written that didn't actually get published till into the you know uh, 20th century, just wow. because it was held on to by his family. Um, and you know, it was. Probably the biggest form of medicine in America at the turn of the sort of 1900s. Um, so, yeah, massive history behind homeopathy. Um, and, you know, you, there's obviously a lot of skeptics, but we see it work in animals. We see it work in humans, in kids. I think, you know, it's, it's got to be said it's out there. And there's some great studies I know that you guys are going to go into just
2: to show that. So I think mm. certainly we need to uh, uh, to explore this. What's the studies on plants, Frank? Can you remember one? Like what sort of stuff would, would they have been doing? Just growth rates or that kind of stuff? Uh, they, they were
1: literally looking at not so placebo effectively because they were looking at using sulfur and silica in the growth of lettuces on certain soils all the way through to grain crop and looking at growth rates by giving them different um, uh, remedies versus just placebo of plain water. Um, you know, in spraying the crops and seeing the difference in the growth
0: rate. Connor, you said that you'd frame some reference with this stuff with your book.
2: Yeah, the two points about the about the dilution, like you know, it, for me as a non-homeopathic person, but somebody that absolutely believes and seeing it uh, firsthand on what it does in dogs, uh, it's it's like venom and anti-venom. That makes perfect sense to people. You don't use a whole lot of venom in anti-venom. I'm not even sure how they actually make that. But another more recent one was when, remember, there was the, the, the Pfizer vaccine where uh, they accidentally were using half the dose and they found it was more effective. And I just thought, wow, there's just so much stuff. Remember, there was a huge amount of vials that went out and they discovered that half the dose was actually more effective. So these things about dosing is coming up now and again, a little bit in our world of non homeopathic stuff. And the last thing I want to touch on, what Brent said, there's a massive difference, which is exactly what I'm going to read out here. There's a huge difference between science and academia. And we are being sold the idea that academia is science. And it's, it's not the same thing. A scientist is somebody that finds something out, produces an experiment, very simple introduction, methods, results, discussion, conclusion, presents it. And that thing is repeatable. So if... Uh, homeopathic medicine grows lettuces quicker. You can hand the exact blueprints of that study, and the next person will repeat that study. So the fact that it's repeatable—that's basic science. Academia is where a scientist publishes that in a journal for people to read, and that comes with an awful lot of issues. Certainly today, uh, we have like the pharma producing ninety-five percent of any of the drug uh, studies that are coming out. So we have a huge problem with academia because we know the studies uh, have big problems. We can't repeat. A huge percentage of the studies, something like 70% of the studies of of drugs that are coming out today are not repeatable. They don't get the same answer when they repeat them. So academia and science, two very different things. When a scientist says, uh, you know, this hot, cold water therapy has done wonders for my dog's back. That's a perfectly scientific thing to say. It's nearly irrelevant that there isn't studies done. If somebody has been doing this on racehorses and it works, it's worth a bloody go. An anti-science thing to say will be rubbish. When I see academia, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it. That's, that's rubbish. It's the wrong way around. So anyway, here's a couple of pages I want to read out. Um, it was just three pages. And I, I called it All Animals Are Equal, but Some Are More Equal to Others. And I was targeting the RCVS in the, in the UK, who I'm free to talk about uh, in, in any way I like. And uh, the Royal College of Veterinary Sur- Surgeons uh, have this uh, subsidiary called the RCVS Knowledge. And uh, their motto is to advance the use of evidence-based veterinary medicine in veterinary practice. Via their journal Me evidence, so that all sounds good, no problem. And a few years ago, they did a they released a paper, and you can you can really see what sort of journal it is by the papers they release. Although all journals have their own problems, and they were inventing the use of raw meaty bones in periodontal disease. And the two researchers discounted all the studies that exist to prove bones are very effective, such as you know six hundred do- or two hundred dogs followed for six years, and the study in sixty-seven, all these huge studies. And they followed one study. And after examining one study, this paper has concluded. Um, un- until we know more, just to, to, to add, in, add in my own words, um, vets are recommended to rely on their clinical experience rather than the literature. That was the conclusion of the study. So instead of feeding raw meaty bones, they should uh, rely on their clinical experience, which is raw meaty bones are dangerous, and, uh, rather than the literature. Okay, So that was the conclusion of the study. And then they did a, a study uh, assessing the, the value of, of, of kidney disease, of, of higher protein diets to kidney disease. And again, they use one study. And again, they conclude vets should rely on their professional experience until more evidence is generated. And so a lot of vets are given a lot of, kind of scope to use their experience. There's 50 homeopathic vets in the UK. Okay, So these are professionally trained vets that are now doing an extra course to learn about homeopathy and are using it to a great extent. And those vets are being uh, kind of, you know, uh, chased around a bit. In 2016, there was a a campaign run by two or three vets who I won't mention just just to keep it off the air. In 2016, via The Guardian and all the usual kind of uh, papers that they use to promote their stuff, and uh, they got a 1,000 vets to sign it that these 50 vets were to be blacklisted if they recommended homeopathy uh, ahead of conventional medicine. I believe that was the fucking thrust of it. I'm going to be fully on those details. But the fact remains that the RCVS and these guys who have their own group uh, extolling the benefits of evidence-based medicine back cereal-based dry food. Cereal-based dry food has not got a single study behind it saying it's more effective than the placebo, which in an an animal's case would be his natural diet. In any head-to-head, a well-made raw dog food comes out on top. But dry food has not got any evidence behind it that it will be a superior diet to raw dog food. They never needed it. Not a single study. Listen to the evidence behind um, homeopathy. Okay, so the R- RCVS in two thousand seventeen a fierce statement saying homeopathy exists without a recognised body of evidence for use. That's terrifying. Um, and of course, the RCVS don't like that. They don't back any industry that doesn't do that. Uh, at least non-profitable ones. Um, how much evidence is required, and uh, recognised by whom? The fact remains there is adequate evidence supporting the use of homeopathy. That should be at least that should at least be stimulating further scientific investigation. In 2011, an independent report commissioned by the the Swiss health authorities concluded there is sufficient evidence for the preclinical effectiveness and clinical efficacy of homeopathy uh, for safety and economy compared with conventional treatment. In 2016, a comprehensive literature review, a review of all the papers, of the peer-reviewed studies into the efficacy of homeopathy in replacing the use of antibiotics in cattle, pig, and poultry spanning four decades was published in the Veterinary Record. 48 publications produced 52 trials that were said to fulfill the necessary scientific criteria. 28 of these trials were apparently in favor of homeopathy, more than half. And that's in a peer-reviewed journal. And people would say, ah, but it failed 45% of the time. And I'd go on to say, well, prescription drugs fail, you know, often 20, like 20% of drugs work in some patients, 30% of arthritis drugs, 35% of cancer drugs. Those sort of failures are permitted in conventional medicine. When homeopathy doesn't work one in two times for whatever reason, that is not permitted. So homeopathy has a lot of peer-reviewed scientists, but here was the juiciest bit that happened, okay, uh, that I wanted to kind of call it. The, um, so the RCVS is not alone in its repression of homeopathy. The Australian National Health and Medical Research Council got itself in hot water recently when it was tasked with assessing the available evidence supporting the use of homeopathy. It was not a published study as it was not submitted to peer review was entitled evidence on the effectiveness of homeopathy for treating health conditions it argued against the effectiveness of homeopathy however discrepancies found in the work by various homeopathic research groups including a panel of homeopathic experts containing no actual homeopathy expert a group that was chaired by a member of an anti-homeopathy lobby group led to a public scrutiny of the piece as a whole it soon came to light there was an earlier work that wasn't made public by the same group it took three years multiple freedom of information requests, and two members of the Australian Senate to force the NHMRC to admit the fact. Eventually, the original work was found. It was entitled the effectiveness of homeopathy, an overview review of secondary evidence, and dated 2012, uh, and it was finally published in 2019. In this report, it stated, there is encouraging evidence for the effectiveness of homeopathy for five health conditions, and I'll go on. The last bit was, to see this document, finally seen the light of day, is a major win for transparency and public accountability and research. That was in their main paper there in Australia. So the fact remains that they are backing dry food, annual boosters. They say in their journals, oh, don't feed raw meaty bonds until we have enough evidence. And all the things that cost us nothing that we can do ourselves, just, there's just quite not enough evidence, you know. And yet they back things like uh, dry dog food. But for homeopathy, there will never be enough evidence. And I think the problem is homeopathy is, is as close to a dark art. People are very, they, they don't understand. They, they find it hard to describe. They find it very hard to measure with the basic scientific tools we have today. It's like trying to bloody assess dark matter, which makes up 85% of the weight in our universe. We don't bloody know what it is. We can't see it. We can't measure it. But we know it's there. Nobody's going to say dark matter doesn't exist now, although they tried it for years and years. But we just can't measure it. It doesn't mean it's not there. It is happening and so when you can produce repeatable studies that something works that warrants as a scientist you just go go for it if these, these are trained vets they're having any positive stories like it, it's anti-science to say don't look into it anymore why why would you care if somebody was looking into a, a totally side effect free cheap to produce medicine uh, and you bloody know what the answer is you know why the repression is there so that was the few pages that i don't want to say there is there is good science behind it far more so than there is behind dry dog food let me tell you in support of the of the of the product. Anyway, that was my little rant out of the way, guys. Nick, you knew something about this Cuba study.
0: So what happened is is in Cuba, and they're very sympathetic to homeopathy in Cuba. Okay, they've got one of the best uh, medical services, human medical services. This is all about a human human medical side. Okay, but bear with me. The, the, the figures are great. So a great medical service. They use lots of homeopathy. But they have a lot of leptospirosis among the people, okay? And so what they do, everybody gets a jab every year to help them with leptospirosis. But what happened? They va- jabbed half the population and ran out of, 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 of the lepto vaccine. And so they thought, what are we going to do? So somebody said, why don't we make a homeopathic no-so? Okay, somebody was asking about no is A no is a remedy that's made up from diseased tissue. So you get somebody who's ill with leptospirosis you take the tissue samples, sputum, and, uh, urine, and what have you, and you make up a no soap. And they, they dis- distributed this to the rest of the population. And so you had a county here who was fully vaccinated, and you had a county right next door, i.e. same rain level, the same altitude above sea level. Yeah. Um, similar population, distribution, age, and what have you. This was a natural experiment. You had a vaccinated, and you had a a controlled, which was the no-sode. Or you could say you had the no-sode, which was the study group, and you had the the control, which was the vaccinated group. And what they found is that they got better results in those counties which used exclusively the no-sode above vaccine Oh, yeah and this was this wasn't done on you know 56 people this was done on millions something like two two and a half million people and that these were distinct it was it was an accident essentially but it's 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 like many of the historical you know the leaps forward in, in in scientific history have been through fluke and accident and this was exactly one of these things and this is the paper that i talk to people about when they say well and I use no-sodes for my dog. And I say to them, if you ask a conventional vet, you will get, they, they, will, they will tell you that uh, homeopathy and no-sodes, there is no evidence whatsoever. Well, actually, that's not true because we've got the Cuban study. You can find it. It's uh, the Cuban, if you could put uh, homeopathy Cuba 2012 into Google, you will get the study straight out. There is also, there's a guy called Isaac Golden who's done a PhD and what he did is he looked at the, the, uh, using no to pre- to prevent disease compared with vaccines to prevent disease. And his conclusion was that they both will, will help about 75% of, of the people who they are used on, but the big difference is that no sods are virtually side-effect free, which is more than you can say for most if oh. not all vaccines. Okay. Dr. Isaac Golden. Bren.
1: One thing that I would just like to add to that different remedies are used in different ways, and certainly nozodes that are made in the way the Cuban study was, which was from the sputum from the disease material, are absolutely in the face of those outbreaks of disease. Because I think it was actually around one of the uh, hurricanes that went through uh, Cuba at that time and it was causing a massive influx of lepto risk to the islands that's why they ran out of the vaccine um the but there is a difference between that and the remedies that we can often get in the uk we can make from the vaccines okay yeah. now great to try and reduce side effects of the vaccination but not necessarily as effective uh in the face of an outbreak of disease so be aware of that if you're doing that in a nosode as a preventative rather than in the face of an outbreak of disease, then there is this plausible possibility that you're going to end up with a load of dogs or cats that have been given constant nosodes that may end up with a proving of symptoms. So I think caution how we use those nosodes. I think yes, they can be used in the face of an outbreak, but you know on the BAHPS website we're very careful about. How people perceive those because we cannot control what nozodes they're getting from the pharmacy. Always ask a homeopathic vet as to what you should be uh, using, in what circumstances, and how protective that might be.
0: Yeah, I think that if you're going to use homeopathy, just as if you're going to use any medicine, you're best off talking to a professional, somebody, and I would say that, but you know, you wouldn't start taking penicillin or, or gallifrant or previcox just on a whim yeah. you don't see your vet because they know that the, the uh how to get the best out of those medicines equally a homeopath will be able to guide you in the best use of any given home, uh, homeopathic remedy whether it's a no-sode or you're treating diarrhea or skin itch or whatever it might be so i think that's a good idea at the very least have a chat with the homeopathic pharmacies there are some great homeopathic pharmacies some of the pharmacies that i use were are helios homeopathic pharmacy but also we've got um freeman's homeopathic pharmacy and also ainsworth's homeopathic pharmacy that's just three of probably a dozen good pharmacies in the uk so at the very least, have a chat with them to see if they can guide you if there's no homeopathic
2: vets nearby. There's, there's shop's starting to specialise in this. It's becoming more popular as you turn to a You start questioning all sorts of things you, you can't help and learn. Uh, but the, it's kits available. So, um, yeah, look, I, I, I re, the kits look cool, okay? There are all these little remedies, and it's, it's even like the ailment is written above it. Often I see you guys, when you're, ta- when you're talking about remedies, you talk about more than one. There might be something else going on. I think we miss all that. Just what friends after saying, we don't even know exactly uh, the origin of these of these of these uh, of these meds or how well they were made or even exactly when you would use the right ones. We just read an article, are convinced by it, by whoever wrote it, and go and buy the remedy. And uh, so you don't think that's a good idea just to, to have these kits at home, that's not good advice, is it? I think
0: I think I'm not sure what Brent would say here. It's it's how we start. It's, you just you, you were given a kit of Probably eight, ten remedies. There's arnica, there's belladonna, and lycopodium, and this, that, and the other. And you just said, right, take it, take some yourself if you if you need it. If, if these are the top ten indications, give it a go. But these are medicines, and they they're, they're they're profound. I think Kent said, please allow me to be under a blind surgeon rather than a reckless homeopath.
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Is there any side effects to homeopathy?
0: Um, Physically, you have to work quite hard, but they are profound remedies and they are medicines. And if you want to get the best of any medicine, pharmaceutical or homeopathic or a herbal medicine, I think do your reading or cut your teeth with a homeopathic or herbal or conventional vet until you learn the, the parameters within which you can work. Okay. I think that that would be, would be the idea. You know, Guys, you, I've got a plane to go. Good Brad. <laughs> All right, fair play, Brad. And um, just looking at the time we've got, um, let me just give you some literature. Go for Some of the classics is one here. This is by Chris Day. Lots of information there. Very, very concise, but very useful. Um, a wonderful friend of mine, Lisa Hansen, Oh yeah, She's written this. And she talks about no sodes and she talks about feeding, and she talks about neutering. So if you if you if you're new to the holistic world, you'll find this a very 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 useful book. That's Lisa L. I. S. E. She's Norwegian, yep. wonderful woman. Yeah, Um, one of the best books on homeopathy, I think, for kind of a deep dive, is by my friend Don Hamilton. He used to come over and lecture homeopathic care for cats and dogs if you just go to uh to amazon and look at don hamilton he will talk to you about the history and he'll talk to you about what is homeopathy and how do they make homeopathic remedies for example and he does quite a lot of work on vaccination he's very anti-vaccination and but he justifies his position which is great
2: yeah
0: and finally if you've got horses you there is this this book by george mcleod he was kind of the grandfather of homeopathy, even before um, Chris Day, and if you notice this one, I, I've revised and updated oh, this yeah. wonderful book by
2: George Macleod. And I uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't know you you did that, Nick. Very good. So you you went through it and freshened it up a bit. I freshened it up. Yeah, oh, I, the master. Yeah.
0: You know, he, he wrote
2: it fifty years ago. That was interesting, Nick. I could have gone on another hour about that. Uh, and there's loads of questions there that are really on point. So we'll probably come back to this. Um, Let's just do some of those in the FAQs, okay? Because there's some really clued in people there. And uh, So next time we do FAQs, what days are now, it's going to be another three shows. Then we'll we'll do those questions there, guys. Um, So thanks very much for coming, everybody. Patreon.com forward slash walk pet medics. If you can help us out, do a cup of coffee, very much appreciate it. Thanks for all your support on that. And Nick and I will be back next week, possibly Ben, possibly not. Uh, and we will have another wonderful subject view. Uh, just uh, have, have a look at Pat John and see what's, what's next on the list. Maestro, yeah. what
0: shall we do? Should we, should we do fibre? We've got seven days to do a bit of reading.
2: The we'll big cyber fibre and, and proof fibre, yeah. Why not? Fibre and fibre and both. fibre and uh, diarrhoea and constipation. Those three things are can with one thing. Okay, cool. Sounds good.
0: Thank you, everybody. Thank you, guys. See you yeah. in seven days, mm-hmm. can't we? The line that the line that
1: the line